Last week, the Victorian government announced a $5.4 billion big housing build, billed as a landmark investment in social housing. The plan will build more than 12,000 new homes in Victoria, including more than 9,300 new social housing properties and upgrades to existing public housing facilities. Likewise, Western Australia, Tasmania and New South Wales have all announced social housing building projects as part of their economic recovery strategies. But why is building social housing both an economic and societal win? I'm Kat Clay, Head of Digital Communications, and with me today is Brendan Coates, Household Finances Program Director and expert on all things housing. Welcome, Brendan. Thanks, Kat. So today we'll focus mostly on the Victorian announcement, but I do believe that many of the solutions we discussed today can be applied elsewhere in Australia. First up, I feel it's important to say, though, that building social housing isn't just about providing housing for homeless people, as it also provides accommodation for low-income earners and people who may be fleeing domestic violence situations. But I do want to step back and ask you, Brendan, why is homelessness on the rise, particularly in Victoria? Thanks, Kat. So homelessness is on the rise for a few reasons. Um, part of the increase in homelessness is actually those that are in uh, heavily overcrowded dwellings. So the definition of homelessness extends not just to those that are, say, rough sleepers on the street, uh, but all the way through to people who are in dwellings that need far, far more bedrooms uh, than than the number of people that are in them. And so uh, that a big rise of the increase in homelessness in Victoria and Australia is actually um, increasing rates of, of migration. So people who are coming to Australia and living in very overcrowded dwellings. Uh, and that's been a big driver of the increase. Other things that also play a role, look, um, we've slowly eroded aspects of our income support system over time. So um, things like the rate of job seeker, uh, the unemployment benefit have progressively declined relative to community living standards quite substantially over the last 20 years. It's become harder over time. As outside of the of COVID where a bunch of policies made it easier, but typically it's become harder to get access to those payments. You know, there are more things where uh, there's welfare conditionality so that if you miss, you know, appointments with, jo- with job active network providers, then you can get cut off from your payments. And then housing's also just become a lot more expensive over the last 20 years. And so, you know, that's hurt low-income earners the most. Uh, essentially because they are least well-placed to cope with an increase in housing costs because they've got so little fat in their budgets already. And we've also not invested very much in social housing, which is a key pathway uh, out of homelessness as well as a key preventative measure to stop people from becoming homeless. And all those things mean that homelessness has increased across Australia over the last 10 years. Uh, you know, and it's a growing problem because so those that experience homelessness experience much worse life outcomes. It's it's one of the worst situations you can find yourself in to not have a roof over your head, um, and something we should try to avoid. And I think you make a really good point that homelessness takes many forms. It's not just that cliched image of of a couple of guys around a flaming bin at night that we see in in, in movies, which is a terrible cliche. Um, but you know, it could be people uh, trying such as tertiary homelessness where people are in caravan parks or in kind of unstable housing situations as well. Um, So it's a really important point you make there. So, Brendan, I want to come back to this question around why the government hasn't initiated this earlier, but I want to know what exactly has Victoria done? So, Kat, what the Victorian government has announced in the budget, uh, which we'll see the full details of next week, but they've announced this early, is they're going to spend $5.4 billion on what they call a big housing build. And the aim is basically to build 12,000 social affordable housing units over the next four years. 
So 9,300 of those will be social housing. And that's where the rent is typically capped at 25 to 30% of the the tenant's income. Those social housing units are typically very tightly targeted at those um, at great risk of homelessness. So typically people who are at risk of homelessness today get access to those. And they're also going to build, the rest will be a combination of affordable housing where the rents are typically 20% below market rents, targeted not so much right at the bottom, but people on low to moderate incomes, and then probably some market rate housing built in as well, just because of the way the scheme's designed. And that doesn't mean you're going to get 9,300 new social housing dwellings, additional ones. Uh, some of it will probably re- looks like it's going to replace about 1,000 old public housing units. So this, the public housing stock is very old, A lot of it was built in the 1960s and 1970s, and there hasn't been a huge amount of government investment over that time. And so a lot of these properties are not particularly habitable. And so knocking them down and rebuilding them is actually an important part of renewing the stock to make sure it's fit for purpose for tenants. Now, if we dig into what their specific programs include, there's half a billion dollars for building more social and affordable housing on public land. So there's six fast start sites where they're expecting to knock up about a thousand homes very quickly. There's a billion dollars essentially on spot purchases of existing homes. So homes that have already been built that can then be appropriated and used for social housing and offered at discounted rents to tenants. There's 1.38 billion for community housing projects to build up to 4,200 homes. And there's 2.14 billion for uh, some programs to build more social housing with the private sector and community housing providers. So all up, you're talking about just under 10,000 social housing units. That $5.4 billion spend will be the largest spend we've seen by a government on social and affordable housing since the global financial crisis. The Rudd government in 2009 essentially committed to spend just under $6 billion, so similar amount to build 20,000 social housing units. And that was a very effective form of stimulus. So since then, we haven't seen big investments from either arm of government. And so this is this is the biggest news for social housing advocates and for the homelessness sector for arguably a decade. Yes, it's an exciting time for homelessness advocates. But I want to go to that question of why social housing makes such effective stimulus, because I think if you think about it on the surface, you're kind of like, why does it work? Well, the short answer is there's a clear need during this crisis. So, you know, construction sector jobs are down something like 6 7% since the start of the COVID-19 recession in March. The construction sector was already looking like being hit relatively hard even before COVID came along because you'd seen this big boom in in housing construction, and that had largely come to an end in our major cities. So construction was expected, particularly for apartments, which is you know a large part of the the, the construction sector in Victoria, was going to fall you know pretty heavily over the coming months. The reason why social housing is such an effective stimulus is because it's really fast to roll out. You can build a four-story apartment building in a few months, particularly as they will in this program, they expedite the the planning approvals process. So it doesn't go through councils, it'll go through the states as it did during the GFC. And so you can build that four-story apartment building far quicker than you can try to tunnel under the Yarra River to build a new train line or a new freeway. And so the kind of infrastructure that you get out of social housing is quick to build. It is more labor intensive and it's probably going to provide a lot of support to the kinds of parts of the construction sector that really do need that support to keep people in work because we know there are big costs to having high and sustained unemployment uh, during recessions. This is one of the ways we can try to avoid that happening in construction, which tends to be a very cyclical part of the economy. At the same time, you want to also invest um, stimulus money in things that are not just going to be effective stimulus, but they're also going to be good ideas in their own right. And social housing definitely falls into that bucket. We know that it is very effective in reducing homelessness. So, you know, some of the evidence from Australia is that you reduce the risk of homelessness for those that are at risk by about a third if they're in social housing. And it's because you're offering 
a very deep rental discount. So they're no longer in, in financial stress. Uh, well, they're in much less financial stress. You're offer, also offering typically quite strong security of tenure. So the risk of being kicked out is a lot less. And that security has an enormous impact on the lives of those that benefit from it. We know if you do become homeless, it has very bad long-term impacts on your health, uh, on your employment prospects, and on your overall well-being. And we've seen during COVID just how effectively we can actually reduce homelessness. In March, we all of a sudden put, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of, of homeless Australians into hotels to get them off the streets to reduce the risk of uh, COVID-19 transmission. And that was very effective. We've had an experiment. We've seen that's happened and we know it works. The challenge here has always been there's been a stagnation of the social housing stock. So there's very little flow of new social housing for those whose lives take a big turn for the worse. And because the average social housing tenant actually does stay there for a while, particularly as that the tenants are getting older and a lot of tenants are pensioners, it means that if you in your 20s find yourself having a hard time, you're, you're in your 30s and you're leaving a, a case of domestic violence, there's often not that secure social housing available to you for you to move into. And this new flow of extra stock will hopefully help alleviate that. And that leads quite interestingly into the question I want to ask you, which is how far does this announcement go in solving the long-term need for more social housing? Well, to put it in perspective, Victoria has always had less social housing than the other states. And this extra build will take us to about 3.5% of all housing in Victoria being social housing. That's less than the Australian average of 4.2% and less than the long-term average that we've seen in Australia of probably around 5% over the last three or four decades. So, you know, you've still got a long way to go. This is an important program that will make a difference, but it's not going to solve the problems overnight. There's still a need for a sustained build of social housing to provide that ongoing program of, of flow of new social housing units for people who find themselves in trouble. And we expect that coming out of COVID, there may well be an increase in homelessness because you've got a lot of people who have lost their jobs. Homelessness tends to rise during recessions when people are more likely to not link to the labour market, their incomes fall, and if the social safety net isn't up to the task, then they can easily fall through the cracks and we want to avoid that in, in, as much as we possibly can. So you've really sold me here on, on the need for social housing. So if it's so good and yet housing availability has been on the decline, why has it got to this point before governments have actually taken action? Well, the short answer, Kat, is it's really expensive. The way we, th we should think about this is a social housing dwelling, the government or, who, or the community housing provider has to build that dwelling. They've got to pay for the land. Uh, then they've got to cost, pay for the cost of maintenance. And then the tenant who's moving into that dwelling, uh, particularly now that so there's less social housing and it's more targeted, they typically have very low incomes. Most people are on income support of some form. And so if you're on, say, youth allowance, which pays a very low rate, uh, particularly at the old rate uh, or jobs, the new job seeker payment at say fifteen thousand dollars a year, then you know twenty five thirty percent of that income is five grand, and the cost of providing that housing, if you think of the typical rental in Australia, the typical rental in Australia costs something like eighteen thousand dollars if you're renting it on the market, and so the gap between those two things is what the government is having to essentially front each and every year. and that means boosting social housing is very expensive, like the annual subsidy if you think of it in those terms, is typically somewhere between ten dollars and $15,000 a year or an upfront cost of, say, $400,000, $500,000. And that's why governments haven't done it because it's enormously expensive. And unfortunately, it's not one of those things that does tend to win you a lot of votes because it's a program that is focused on people who are struggling in their lives. And while there are attempts to try to reframe who is in fact homeless in Australia, that it's not just you know, rough sleepers on the streets, it's not seen as something that's relevant, I think, to the average Australian. 
uh, that they're not going to benefit from and therefore it doesn't get a lot of government funding. So if you wanted to really, even boosting the social housing stock to say 5%, returning it nationally to where it used to be, you're talking about an upfront capital commitment in the billion, many billions of dollars. Now, the reason we do this in recessions, it's the one time when the budget constraint is relaxed. We're not worried about running balanced budgets. We're not worried about, there's no political cost to running large deficits. In fact, that's what good economic policy says you should do. And therefore, we've seen both at the Victorian level now and in the federal, at the federal government a decade ago, a push into social housing because it is a way of, of stimulating the economy effectively. And that's a time when we can do that without worrying so much about the budgetary cost. I want to ask you about Jason Falinski, the MP for McKellar, who had posted some comments on Twitter that Victoria's announcement should read, and I'm quoting here, socialist Victorian government spends $5.3 billion to entrench inequality. Is building social housing a handout, not a hand up? Look, it's, it's both of those things, right? The way to think about it is if you give people who are in poverty and in financial stress access to additional resources, they will not be in poverty anymore. We know from the increase in the job seeker rate during the COVID crisis that the rate of poverty, income poverty in Australia crashed basically because we were giving people a higher level of income support. In the case of social housing, we know it's effective in getting people out of homelessness. That saves the government money in terms of less interactions with the prison system, less interactions with the justice system, less interactions with with health and hospital services. The government can end up potentially even saving money or coming close to saving money from providing social housing to those that are otherwise at serious risk of homelessness. There is a concern sometimes that you'll see these income traps because if your income is linked to your social housing status, if your your the rent that you pay is discounted because you're eligible for social housing, if your income went up a lot, you would lose potentially access to that social housing. In practice, though, what tends to happen is as your income goes up, so does your rent because it's set at 30% of your income. Those effective marginal tax rates are not that much higher, I think, inside the social housing system as they are outside uh, through the general income support system. And so at this point, I think giving people access to those resources is not going to, to lead them to be in welfare traps. Uh, we should obviously care a lot about the incentives people have to work, but in this case, the balance is definitely on give people the support that they need because if you're in deep poverty and you're homeless, your chances of finding a job are basically zero. And there's been some really interesting um, models in the states done with things like Housing First where they've given people housing and accommodation as the primary thing, the first thing they do to get them out of homelessness. And they've found a lot of those secondary issues have fallen into place for the sheer fact of having the stability of a home and a roof over your head. Just one more question for you, Brendan. Apart from social housing, what else can we do to help house low-income Australians in need? Yeah, I think this is a really important question, Kat, because one thing, it's very very unlikely in the Australian context you will ever house the most low-income earners in social housing. It is just too expensive. You know, there are countries abroad, say the United Kingdom has 20, 25% of its housing stock is social and affordable housing. That's a different universe where the government retained access to those that those housing assets and just as importantly, the land underneath them right through from the Second World War onwards. They've got this enormous asset they can then use to house most people in some sort of social or affordable housing model. Australia is just not in that position. You know, if we wanted to boost the social housing stock to 10, 15, 20% of, the social, of total housing, 
the governments would be spending an inordinate amount of money. You know, you're talking about multiples of, you know, what we spend on the pension, uh, what we spend on other income support services in order to provide just that social housing. So I think that's unlikely. We should probably acknowledge that while we need more social housing, it's not going to turn into the support that is provided to most people. Uh, or even most low-income people. Instead, we have other income supports for those that don't actually need that extra benefit of social housing. So we have Commonwealth rent assistance. That rate hasn't really risen for 15-odd years, uh, 20 years. We need to increase that rate. It's fallen well behind rents because it's only indexed to inflation. So we think you should be increasing that by 40% at least. That would cost about $1.3 billion, $1.4 billion to do, but it would certainly help a lot of people who are in the private rental market to be to be better able to keep a roof over their heads and feel safe and secure. At the same time, we need to reform some of the tenancy laws that are probably still balanced too far in the benefit of landlords over renters. The rate of rentals, um, private rental is increasing and it's increasing particularly amongst younger people and younger people with families are now spending an increasing amount of their lives in private rental market and the security of tenure there is really important. So we should probably fix up those tenure rules. And then beyond that, you're probably talking about trying to make housing more affordable in general. Now, there are various ways that you can do that. Some of those ways do, in fact, involve trying to boost the supply of housing in the inner and middle-ring suburbs of our major cities. Uh, planning systems do make that particularly hard, particularly in cities like Melbourne and Sydney. And so relaxing those planning rules, allowing more housing to be built close to where people want to live and work uh, is particularly important. And if you did that, then you would probably have to spend less than we otherwise would on some of these income supports because if someone's rental costs go down, then their, their post-housing income goes up. They've got more income to spend on other things and they're less worried about trying to keep a roof over their heads. Thank you so much, Brendan, for joining me today on the podcast. It's an exciting time because social housing does really answer a need in our community, as well as providing an effective stimulus. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, why not continue the conversation with us on Twitter at Grattan Inst and social media Grattan Institute. For all our listeners, we hope you're doing well wherever you may be in Australia, but special thoughts to our South Australian listeners at this time. Please take care. 